welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 50 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mary. Uh, I understand uh, you've got a trip coming up. Yes, I do. Uh, we're attending the big uh, Apex Expo and co-located Aircraft Interiors Expo Americas in uh, Long Beach, California. Uh, so it's going to be Pax X Fantastic Max, nice. but I'm already exhausted in the preparation of it all. <laughs> oh, you have a great time. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, but before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast, The Concorde. It was impossible to ignore the beautiful shape of the world's first and only supersonic passenger jetliner as it roared overhead. When designing the cabin, Concorde's designers turned to the world of exotic super sports cars and transformed the jet's slender cabin into a streamlined executive style interior that was subsequently emulated by airlines worldwide. These and other vivid details make the Concorde flying experience come alive again in the Jetliner Cabins ebook app, which tells the inside story of the Concorde interior. Visit JetlinerCabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Kendall Crichton is Director of Communications for Consumer Advocacy Group, Flyers Rights, which has been in the news an awful lot lately. Welcome to the show, Kendall. Well, thanks for having me, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be speaking with you, Kendall. But why don't we get started right away and take a look at some of the PaxX news stories making headlines. First, the Daily Beast conducted an investigation into aircraft seat testing, and they found that much of the data is woefully out of date. Kendall, Flyers Rights has been tracking the seat safety and seat testing topic for some time. What are your thoughts on the findings of this Daily Beast report? Uh, well, it shows that shrunken seats have not been tested for safe evacuation. The FAA's own documents indicate that head strikes are likely. Uh, the FAA mandates that the flight attendants need to be protected with shoulder straps, but not passengers. So we see this as a safety and health issue, a very important one. I can give you a little background to this. Two years ago, Flyers Rights put out a petition asking people to chime in on the seat space, and it was one of our most inundated petitions ever. Within a few weeks, we had 35,000 signatures. Um, and then we submitted that first to the Federal Aviation Administration, which rejected it out of hand. And then to the U.S. Court of Appeals, who sided with us. And it is currently going to be revisited. Uh, December 28th is when they're going to rule again on it. So we're looking forward to that. And we think um, <laughs> the FAA is going to come armed to the teeth with a lot of documents. <laughs> To support their case on this one, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, this is uh, it, this is fascinating, Kendall, to see this entire thing play out. It's of course it's been playing out for the last number of years, hasn't it? Really, you guys, uh, uh, this has been on your radar for some time. But the approach to addressing the seat squeeze from a safety standpoint is a little bit more recent. I think that legislators uh, originally tried uh, to regulate based on comfort, and that didn't go anywhere. Now they're looking at it from a safety standpoint. What, what were the triggers to, to get to this point? Uh, well, health has been coming up a lot lately, and uh, with DVT and the squeeze space, the safety issue was just something that's just kind of grown organically. People were just telling us on and on, there's no way we can do the brace position. Uh, that's impossible, and it's been that way for a long time. How is it safe? 
how can we evacuate this? Just it's just like starting seating in these airlines now. Uh, And so the FAA could not prove that they were safe. All the tests that they had done were outdated. That's where it began. Just to bring up another issue, too, we've had a spike in sexual assault reports. And we think that that's also fallout from these sardine seats is just uh, an increase in reports of inappropriate behavior on board. I had never heard of that before. So they, essentially, they're, they're making the argument that because we're closer together, we're seeing more men molest women in flight. And teenagers, um, yes, there's been an increase in those reports and uh, flight attendants are telling us this, too. They can't have a clear line of sight. They can't keep on top of what's going on. It's a very tight situation and crowded. And then we always like to talk about animals on board. I mean, they have federal aviation rules dictating how much space they should have, whereas humans do not. So we say, please treat us like dogs. We want to have some minimum space as a rule for humans, as well as the pets and everything else. But yes, we're looking forward to maybe changing some rules here. Uh, Kendall, the Daily Beast article is titled Flying Coach is So Cramped It Could Be a Death Trap. Are they overstating the situation, or do you think that's really an accurate characterization? We think that it is written in a very alarming way, and it's got to be said. Um, the court ruling says that as well. It is a mystery how the FAA is going to deal with this, how they're going to put rules in place to get passengers evacuated safely within 90 seconds, and they can't do that now. Um, Anyways, we just look forward to working with the FAA to ensure that the minimal seats standards are set and airlines are prohibited from further shrinking until then. I mean, it's just a small request. Please don't shrink them anymore at this point. That's all we're asking for now. It's not like saying let's retroactively go back with them, you know, and make them bigger. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's interesting, Kendall. So you feel that where we're at right now, we've reached the lowest common denominator, which is roughly around in terms of seat pitch. We're talking about 28 inches seat pitch. So you're saying anything below that, you're red flagging. Uh, because as you know, there, there are obviously seats on the market right now that would be pitched at 27. Um, so would you say 28 inches is that low, that line of demarcation for, for flyers, rights? Yeah, uh, that's where we're drawing the line where they are right now. We've heard about, you know, as you have the sky seating or what's it called? Sky seats, the vertical seating. Yeah, yeah. You know, these stand-up seats that have been shown at these aircraft interiors expos in the past, they are pitched so close and they're so long that the center of gravity is much higher. So there's no way, uh, we've been told, that they would pass the 16G uh, dynamic testing um, because there's only so much load that the track can take. So you'd have to redesign the entire aircraft and the seat and and also potentially attach it to the ceiling because they're so long. So we've been told that even though we're seeing these seats kind of, you know, touted here and there in the past, that you would almost have to redesign the interior of the aircraft in order to be able to pass certification. So that's good news. (laughs) But I do find it fascinating that you see kind of 28 inches, though you've obviously that's quite tight, that you see that as kind of that that line of demarcation. That is what the United Kingdom has said. Um, That is their line of demarcation, uh, 28 inches. Um, Do you have a line of demarcation with respect to seat width? Are you coming in at around 17 inches on that? No, we'd like to see 18 at minimum. And I know you've had Marissa Garcia on who says you should have 19.6 minimum. Again, we're not trying to push the envelope here. We're just saying 18 inches and 
28 uh, inches uh, in depth. Please just hold it there for now. And let's, re let's review the safety standards for just these type of seats. So yeah, that's where we are at this point. And we'll see where that goes in December. Uh, Kendall, you mentioned the uh, your recent uh, judicial victory, and this, of course, was uh, when the Federal Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit ordered the FAA to reconsider its decision not to place a moratorium on further reductions in seat size. I think this was a big win for your organization, Kendall, and it could could lead to some changes. But uh, what happens next? What do you see as the next steps in this process? Well, we're just looking forward to working with the FAA uh, to ensure these minimum seat standards are set and airlines are prohibited from shrinking them. And, you know, they're going to try to get away with doing that again. If the FAA continues to refusal to set standards, then flyers flights would anticipate the issue would go back to the appeals court and that would be remanded. In July, that was remanded in July and to the FAA for reconsideration. Um, so it's just going to churn around and around in the courts. But anyways, that's where we see it. We're going, we're just going to work closely with the courts and try to block the FAA from letting them off the hook. Are you able to share whether the FAA has provided any data at all? This is something that the court has asked for, that for the, they, the FAA needs to pony up and, and show its data. Have you guys seen anything yet? No, we haven't seen anything. Yeah, I should be asking you. You're more ah. the insider. Well, we <laughs> we harass the FAA on a regular basis on these subjects, and I I don't think that we've gotten too much further than you guys. Yeah, I wish I'm sure they have a lot of plans, and they're going to come again with just mountains of documents and whatnot through their case. But uh, we'll we'll be prepared. <laughs> Okay. Well, one of the one of the issues that we have highlighted in a recent article is that there are some individuals within the agency that see closely pitched seats uh, as being safer in the event of certain types of survivable accidents because the passenger's head will impact the seat back sooner, reducing the lunge forward. And I guess this takes us back to the Daily Beast piece because the Daily Beast is making this kind of argument that, uh, well, that's not how testing is done for flight uh, for uh, the flight attendants. Um, although I would argue that there's probably some false equivalence in that Daily Beast piece because we're, you know, we're looking at two different, entirely different scenarios. But uh, what do you make of the kind of argument within s some members of the agency who believe that, you know, if, if you're going to impact, and according to some of their test data, if you're going to impact sooner, you're not lunging forward, you're not, uh, you know, it's actually a safer situation. Are you guys addressing that in any way or, or, paying it, or, or looking into uh, some of that? I've only heard that a little bit. And okay. it just seems so... Uh, it just seems like such a stretch to argue that way. Like, well, if we squish you in as tight as possible, then you're not going to bang around on the seats and whatnot. Uh, well, then how are you going to even evacuate? I would, you know, there's a fire. Uh, we just had that incident on the Turkish runway last night where everybody escaped. Um, it was a private jet situation. And because they got out quick and they escaped the fire, I'm sure they got out within time. But if this was a, just a small private plane. Um, so you're all squeezed in there super tight, let's say, and then you need to evacuate. A lot of crashes are survivable if you can get out in time. Um, I just think that's, that's such a bizarre argument. It's like reverse logic. I don't know what else to say about that. It, okay. I mean, I guess, I guess flyers rights uh, kind of response on some level would be, well, if you can't even get into the brace position in the first place, perhaps, I mean, that is that. You know, I, I guess if, if the FAA argues that pitching the seats closer together is safer 
from a testing standpoint, is flyer rights coming at the FAA with, well, passengers can't even get into the brace position in the first place, which is part of the protocol, safety protocol on board for passengers. I guess I'm, I'm curious how, how this argument is going to play out because it is going to play out, right? So everyone needs to be armed and ready. Um, Max, what do you think? Well, I guess it didn't play out too well with the judge. The uh, FAA spokesperson uh, reportedly told the Daily Beast that manufacturers have demonstrated full-scale emergency evacuation of airplanes with seat pitch as low as 28 inches. In no case did the seat pitch have an effect on the outcome of the test. But uh, one of the judges, uh, Patricia Millett, uh, who gave the opinion for the court, commented that the uh, FAA's claim that seat dimensions were, quote, categorically unimportant to emergency egress, unquote, made no sense. So the the judges didn't buy the argument that shrinking seat pitch was not a safety issue. Uh, they didn't trust the, the FAA, which is kind of interesting. I mean, is there a credibility issue here with the FAA, at least uh, in front of this court? Yeah, and people ask us, uh, are they supposed to be, they have this opposing role of, of regulating the airlines, but also helping passengers or, or protecting passengers. And unfortunately, you have to look at the top. We have to look at Elaine Chow. Uh, the marketing orders come from her. So she's going to be pro-business and, and they're going to fight us the whole time on this, you know, and passengers be damned. Talk about a better one. I, um, my one concern, because this is, we, I mean, and Max and I, gosh, we've talked about this subject so many times, and it has been a big concern. I mean, at Runway Girl Network, we're kind of, I, I say it again, but we bang this drum that the data, we don't see the data. But my concern is that conflating all of the separate testing is going to um, dilute the argument because there is head, head injury criterion testing, there is egress. There is the 16G seat testing, and that conflating them all will, you know, essentially arm the other side. So it's almost like there needs to be, like, I, I, under, I understand and appreciate what the Daily Beast has done. For example, I, I think that going down the road of investigating this further, but my fear is that if you don't be clear about all the different testing and the different data sets, then it's going to be a more difficult argument to make. But... Um, with very specific regard, Max, to what you're talking about with the egress, I mean, at the end of the day, and we've talked about it before, like I said, they're basing this on simulation testing. So they're recertifying the 737s and the A320s to take more seats, but they're using past data that involved some real-life evacuation tests of the original LOPAs, and then they are using and updating it with simulation. They're not doing real-life evacuation tests, and so the data is questionable, is really where I think it really comes right down to. And the fact that the data hasn't been shown um, to prove you know, what the FAA is saying, that is, to me, the, the kind of red flag. Kendall, would you say that it comes down to a data question as well? And also, uh, you need to mention the self-regulation. Most of the time, they get to self-regulate right. and then sort of put up these puff pieces like um, proof that it's fine. Or We've seen this so much with the airlines, which means to us no regulation. And while well, you were at the Apex um, yeah. in Hamburg, yeah. what did you see there? <laughs> you saw very thin seats and just, well, you saw no feedback screens either, but yeah. Uh, they just can do pretty much whatever they want, and then they'll just, you know, regulate it after. We we have seen some 
you know, particularly in years past when, like you say, these kind of saddle seats, these stand-up seats uh, were kind of tossed out. Now, this was several years ago, um, but in that regard, I unless, again, unless there's a redesign of the interior, it's difficult to see how those would even remotely pass the current test. But yes, we do see seats um, that are pitched at 27 inches, which would be below, of course, the standard that you're hoping to set and the, the one that the UK has kind of set already um, from years ago. So it will, it will be really interesting to see this all play out. But I do think that the onus is on the FAA now to show us the data, right? So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for this to play out fully. Sounds like um, it could be quite a while. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about a different kind of a topic. Uh, This is one that we've been discussing over at the Airplane Geeks podcast for quite some time. Uh, And this is the House bill that would privatize air traffic control. It's been uh, very controversial within the industry. Now, there have been a lot of headlines in the news about this bill. The Seattle Times is reporting that the prospects of a bill passing the Senate now appear quite slim. Kendall, where does Flyers' rights stand on this issue of air traffic control privatization? Uh, Well, it's funny. It's made six strange bedfellows. The Air Traffic Controller Union, NACA, is for it. General Aviation and airline pilots are against it. So we're kind of caught in the middle, but uh, we are against it. As, we came out against it because we think it will not reduce congestion, uh, not reduce flight delays, and it will cause higher fees imposed on the passengers. And it will give airlines control over the air routes and remove congressional oversight, um, public accountability. It involves a giveaway of billions of the federal government assets to a private monopoly. As far as safety goes, we're thinking it's not good for that. So, um, so we came out against that. Um, but you know, we're also pro union and if the NACA union is for it, we're kind of in a bind. Um, we just have to think of the passengers first and it's not good for them. So we have come out against it. Max, as you say, you guys have been talking a lot about this on Airplane Geeks podcast. And to me, I mean, I just haven't seen a a great argument made in the reason why we need to do this. Have you? I mean, I guess that's it. To me, it comes down to like no one's made a sound enough argument as to why we should privatize. Yes, it's it's kind of one of those trust me on this arguments, which is a, a little a little problematic. Uh, the question that gets asked very often is uh, specifically, what problem or problems is this trying to solve? And then if that's articulated, how does this solve those problems? One that you hear about is the issue of problems uh, funding the FAA, because it gets caught up in the congressional budget process, and we run into these problems that we've seen uh, over and over where uh, funding is about to run out and the emergency continuing resolutions and all that. So one argument is that if you put all this in the hands of a private corporation, that they won't be subject to this kind of a funding swing. But of course, one one response to that is, is that, well, problems of continuous funding is a congressional problem that has a regulatory impact. It's not a regulatory problem. So it's kind of a drastic move to solve a problem that's not really air traffic control's problem. 
Kendall, it harkens back to your prior point about how the industry is kind of self-regulating. You know, obviously, there, it's voluntary reporting with a lot of this, right? And so then you add this into the mix and there's a question mark then. It's just what is government doing? <laughs> um, it's, do, you, do you feel that it just hands way too much to industry um, and then that that's kind of a, uh, a dodgy proposition? Well, yeah, some are saying that um, it goes back to sequestration. You remember in 2013, uh, they couldn't pass a, a, a federal budget, and so they furloughed all the air traffic controllers. Well, they didn't furlough them. They just didn't pay them. So they had to go into work and still not get paid. And so that was like a watershed moment where, like, let's take our, let's take our department out of this general government workers umbrella. Let's be like the FDIC. Let's be quasi-government. And um, that's how that began. But Again, with NACA being for it, it, it is a tough decision. Um, and yes, the federal budget is, you know, they're at the whims of it. Like uh, Max said, you know, the controllers don't want to be lumped in with general U.S. government workers. They want to be protected. So that's where that came from. But we just see, as you said, there's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. What's the problem? It's not in the passenger's best interest is what it comes down to. So we just hope it stays as it is at this point. Wow. You know, more broadly, I do find it interesting that so many of these unions are finding themselves on the same page as management in so many issues these days. Um, I'm kind of curious about all of that, to be honest (laughs) with you. When, uh, you know, separate topic for a separate time, but we're just seeing a lot of consistent messaging out of the airlines and then their unions and obviously here as well, industry and that kind of so. Um, yeah, very interesting. Max, do you take a do you take a position yourself on it? Well, we have in the United States probably not probably certainly the most complex um, air traffic situation in the world. We have a much more vibrant aviation industry, if you will, ranging all the way from general aviation, business aviation, commercial aviation. We have more flights. We have more airports. Uh, it's uh, really a large contributor to the economy. And we also have one of the safest, if not the safest, air traffic control system in the world. So you have to be careful, I think, if you're going to make huge changes to that, because you certainly don't want the situation to get worse. So uh, there's a lot of zeal for making it better. A lot of people would like to speed up the implementation of next-gen air traffic control, GPS-based and satellite-based traffic management technology out there to replace the old radar-based legacy technology. And I understand that the government moves slowly when it comes to uh, technology improvements. And that's this is all one of the arguments for privatizing it and putting technology development implementation in the hands of a non-government entity. But again, it has to be done carefully with a lot of thought, a lot of planning. Otherwise, you risk breaking the best system in the world. I don't see in all the proposals the depth of detail that gives me a lot of confidence that we are going to make things better, A, and B, we're not going to break it. So I'm a bit of a skeptic. And I think this is what a lot of the uh, members of Congress are concerned about as well. We've asked our listeners over at Airplane Geeks to send letters to their elected officials and then share the response 
back with us. And it's been a fascinating process. Uh, Many of them are non-committed, but if there is one common theme in the responses, it's uh, what I was just mentioning, that there is concern that we're going to break something that works really, really well as it is. Interesting. Kendall, it's obvious that Flyers Rights is taking strong stand on a number of issues within industry, obviously, whether it's privatization of ATC, uh, a seat size standard, um, and associated safety concerns. But of course, and for those uh, that are uninitiated, Flyers Rights, uh, you know, has been around for a while and was instrumental in the tarmac rule, right? So this is something, so for our listeners to have a little bit of an understanding, can you provide just a little bit of a history? You guys have won in the past. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that's inspirational for other people, other small groups who are so tiny. We have a small office in D.C., interns in there, and uh, one staff attorney um, at the moment. But we were formed when one passenger uh, was stuck on the tarmac for nine and a half hours and um, just put up a little blog and to see if other people were in the same situation. We had She had tens of thousands of people sign up and then went to Capitol Hill and actually was taken under the wing of Olympia Snow, Barbara Boxer and Nancy Pelosi, which, you know, again, you know, she is just one small non-political person and just, it was a total David and Goliath, the <laughs> Mrs. Smith goes to Washington type of story. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got the three hour rule was uh, just the help of these other women in Congress and just being on TV a lot, uh, we had a funny, well, we uh, sort of instrumental was on the National Mall, we had a mock-up of an airline and uh, inside we had like folding chairs all kind of crammed together and then audio of babies screaming and then like <laughs> this funny like stink, like engine smell. like And so you'd get the idea of how horrible it was to be stuck on a tarmac for so, so long and of course, we had invited all the press. They came and they went to town with that. So it, it, it made a big splash. And then that kind of got the ball really rolling on that whole issue. Fascinating. I actually I didn't realize that that you guys had done that as part of the campaign. And of course, then this was all spurred after, well, a number of, uh, of flights, but including the jet blue flight, right, where passengers were there for like nine plus hours, if I'm remembering correctly. Do you yeah. and Max remember those days a decade ago when it was pretty routine to be stuck on the tarmac for long, like six, eight, 12 hours? Yeah. Oh, yes. There were one or two occasions when I uh, strongly considered getting out my cell phone, <laughs> dialing 911 and saying, I'm being held hostage. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, you know. Right. <laughs> SOS. <laughs> exactly. So that's where we began. And it just was, just has really been great. Um, then we took a little bit of a breather and we have a more litigious view and our new president is attorney. So we do things more in the law as opposed to splashy on TV and a little outrageous. Now we're, (laughs) we're just doing everything correctly and uh, trying to do things legislatively behind the scenes. And, but it's been great. Like the seat space, that's just fantastic. We we never thought we'd get that and we've already come this far. So, and hopefully again, inspirational for other people to, Take matters in their own hands. You can make a difference too. <laughs> so you guys are, are really knuckling down because you've got some fights ahead, Kendall, and I I, I, I know it firsthand as well because uh, we when we interviewed you uh, for our Lean Into Aviation platform and I shared it on social media. 
some very strong opinions about some of the comments that you made, and I suspect we're going to get some very strong opinions here in, re in response to this, uh, this recording. So the debate, is, the debate is on, and uh, the debate is split, I would say. There's a lot of pro-industry folks out there that don't want these types of standards, and then there are a lot of pro-passenger folks that believe uh, the time is now. So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, so I suspect, bra brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but dialogue is good. <laughs> dialogue is good. Dialogue is good. Well, we're rapidly coming to a close. I want to thank our listeners. Remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @runwaygirl. Remember to use the PAXX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation and please join in the conversation, including about the seat crunch issue as well. We want to hear from you and we want to hear about your experiences. Um, I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, the Jetliner Cabins ebook app. And I'd like to thank Kendall for being our guest. Kendall, where can listeners find you at? Uh, FlyersRights.org or just on Twitter at Kendall Flyers. Mostly FlyersRights.org would be great because you can see everything, all of our petitions and all of our work we've done, all of our news. So that would be great. And sign up and join us. It's free. And more people, the better, for sure. So thank you so much. Well, and thank you, Kendall. And we'll ask all of you to please join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.